Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is Lesson 7 over the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. All right. Hello and welcome to our final study for the fall. And we do these in the fall and the spring because we can and because we find, we have found over the years that it's really the only times that we have. We kind of get overtaken in the wintertime, the winter Texans, and we to do a Sunday night study in addition to all the other things we do is just really difficult. Uh, we find out in the summer that uh, either we can either get to church or we can get home from church, but you can't do both within an hour. So people, as good as I am, nobody drives 45 minutes just from Port Isabel just to hear me, except for Joe. But he's got a Catholic background, so he doesn't know better. <laughs> so so that's, that's how we've kind of fallen on these fall and spring Bible studies. One, because it kind of gives us, we're down to uh, less visitors, uh, never away from all, any all visitors, but uh, we're down to less visitors, kind of back to the family kind of thing. We're able to do family type of meals together, and we're able to study together. And so I've learned to really love uh, this time. It gives us time to do things on Sunday nights that we couldn't do otherwise. Uh, I can run longer and it doesn't matter, you know, nobody's waiting to go to Luby's or anything, so it's really a, a, really a nice deal. We're going to be in Isaiah 14, we're not going to get out of Isaiah 14, we've only made it to chapter 14, and, and I think we're going to continue with Isaiah study in the spring, uh, we'll see, I believe so, uh, but we're going to be stopping here in chapter 14. Chapter 14, when we were together last time, if you recall, was uh, the end of chapter 13, chapter 14. We're dealing with the city of Babylon, and then getting to chapter 14, you start dealing with the king of Babylon, who is very evidently early on this, this flesh and blood person. But then we're going to see there's going to be a gear shift and a scene shift and uh, a condition shift here in verses uh, 12 and following, and we're going to see that here in just a second. But, but let's pray together. Uh, we're going to shift from the physical world which is, which is very important. There is going to be a physical Babylon. There has been. There is going to be a rise of Babylon. There is just tremendous. Keep your eyes on the Euphrates River. Uh, keep your eyes. Uh, things are coming. Uh, you may not live to see it. You may live to see it. I don't know. Uh, we certainly have come a long ways in, in just recent years and uh, made some rapid advancements in that direction. So, But let's pray, and then we'll consider what Isaiah uh, does for us here, what he brings us into. God, we just thank you for uh, the great study we've been able to have together, great fellowship, uh, great time of testimony uh, this fall, and uh, just for the opportunity we've had to be together. Thank you for the blessings, God, of, of hearing from you, uh, seeing what you had to say through your prophet, uh, this great man, Isaiah. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask you to do that again tonight. We ask you just to fill this room with your, with your spirit, God, and you put your hand on each one of us, and you speak to us, Lord, about the convictions that that you want us to have, and uh, we know uh, that this is your word that you are speaking, but help us to understand uh, what you're saying. So God, thank you again for doing that uh, throughout our time, these seven times together. We ask you to do it again now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, Isaiah 14 starts with uh, a literal king, and uh, you get down, down in verse, uh, verse 4, the king of Babylon, how the oppressor has ceased, and how his fury has ceased. And so you're just talking about, and we know who he was. We know what happened. He was killed in a single night by the Persians. Uh, Daniel told him that. You've been numbered, you've been weighed, and you have been thrown out, basically. 
So uh, the Lord has broken the staff of the, of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, which used to strike the people in fury and unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained uh, persecution. Babylon was extremely powerful, very fast, very quick upstart. Um, and the whole earth is at rest and is quiet, and they break forth in shouts of joy. He's gotten rid of this horrible regime. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, now tree cutters come, don't come up against them. Remember, this is not talking about trees, it's talking about people. It's just a figurative way to refer to powerful people, these trees. Trees and mountains, consistent. Shell from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. And they all respond and say to you, even you have been made weak as, as we and you've become like one of us, and your pomp and music and your harps have been brought down to Sheol, and maggots have spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. And then we have a scene shift, a gear shift. And we start this uh, uh, very quickly. Isaiah starts talking about something that's not physical. Could, couldn't be because of the descriptives that he gives. How you have fallen from heaven. So wait a minute. So we have Belshazzar, who is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He'd never been to heaven ever. So immediately you're like, who is this? And of course, right here where it says, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, that's where we get our word. The Latin word for that is Lucifer. It's where we get our name. And, and uh, the, the interpreters of old recognize this is not talking about any physical entity. It's talking about a, a, a personage uh, that is not physical. Star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have, you who have weakened the nations. And so it starts this descriptive of somebody we would otherwise know as, know as Satan. And prophecy ships from the physical uh, to that which isn't physical. And we, uh, as important as the physical world is, we need to remember that it's only a manifestation of the spirit world. The spirit world is the original world. The spirit world will be the original, will be the eternal world. The, the physical world, this, this gap in between, this 6,000 or so years of physical creation is something that's abs relatively new uh, on the scene. Spiritual world is actually the, the more literal of the worlds, not to say that, that physical doesn't matter because God did certainly create physical. The prophecy shifts, though, from physical to what is behind the physical. And Babylon, of course, was a physical uh, a literal place, but the spiritual forces behind it were more important. It's more important that we, as important as it is to understand the physical Babylon, physical king of Babylon, and all that, uh, more important to understand the spiritual entity that's behind it, the real power of Babylon. Uh, no matter who ruled it, whether it was the Persians or the Babylonians or the Greeks or whoever it was, the real, the real power behind it was nothing physical. It's this, it's this person here. It's this entity. Uh, from heaven, notice, uh, how, how did he get to heaven? Little king of Babylon was not there. The word, the l word Lucifer is literally the word morning star or light bearer or shining one. Uh, interesting uh, commentary on what we learned back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent, that's an interesting word that we translate serpent. It's, it's correct translation. But the, the word literally means in the Hebrew, shining one. It's a different word. It's not the same word that, that Isaiah uses here. But it's another word, uh, another word that refers to a similar thing. What was this, this serpent, as we call him? 
serpent was more than cunning than any beast of the field. Doesn't mean he was a beast even. Just means he was more cunning. He certainly was. Which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God said, indeed said, that you shall, you shall not eat of the tree, any tree of the garden? And he goes, of course, uh, it goes on there. So, so a serpent, this shining one, this is not a quaint myth. Uh, this entity continues to show up in conditions like this. And we're going to see a lot about him. Uh, the Bible gives us a lot of background issue as it turns the pages, if you will, and lets us see what's happening behind uh, these great, great uh, kingdoms and kings. So uh, we're going to see that. But let's, let's keep reading here all the way down to, to verse 17. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. I mean, so he wasn't on the earth? Not to begin with. It weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will, these five I wills. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly of the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be brought thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze on you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the whole earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? This, this devil. Remember, remember, the devil is supernatural entity, but he's just created entity. And as soon as God removes his power and authority away from him, he's going to be nothing. Who made the world like wilderness and overthrew its cities? Who did not allow its prisoners to go home? And so, this descriptive we have of uh, of Satan. Where where did all this begin? Uh, Spirit, Holy Spirit moves the prophet from the physical world, the immediate material world, to the eternal immaterial uh, world. And we have this major shift. Where did sin begin? The heart of Satan. He said in his heart, I'll be like God. So pride starts there, and of course from there goes the move. And so God judges the heart as the same as the judge the actions because uh, they go together. And these five I wills and his destiny, of course, is the pit. Let's let's jump over. We're in Isaiah chapter 14. Let's go over to Ezekiel. We're going to see Ezekiel do the exact same thing. He's going to be talking about a different king, not the king of, of, of uh, Babylon this time, but the t- king of Tyre. But you can hold your place in Isaiah, but let's go, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. So, so we start in the same kind of thing. We start looking at this physical person, and then there's going to be a change, a scene shift, a gear shift, if you will, and a change to something that could not apply to any physical person. The word of the Lord, the, the, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, this is chapter 28 of Ezekiel, verse 1, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, thus says the Lord. So we were talking about the leader of Babylon. Now we're talking about the leader tire. So just a, a point to be made. Because your heart is lifted up and you said, I am a God. Almost all these kings did. They all thought they were awesome. All the emperors of Rome, they all considered themselves to be worshipped and all this. Uh, I sit in the seat of the gods and in the heart of the seas, and yet you were a man, not a God. And he was. Uh, although you make your heart like the heart of God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel, and there is no secret that is no ma- a match for you, but your wisdom and understanding have 
acquired riches for yourself and you've acquired gold and silver for your treasure. He's just reading your history of, of what happened there in Tyre. Tyre was a very powerful city on the seacoast of Lebanon. And uh, of your great wisdom, by your trade you increased your riches. Your heart was lifted up because of your riches. Thus, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, therefore, behold, uh, I will bring, your, bring strangers upon you and the most ruthless of nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. By the way, the ones that did that was Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He fulfilled this prophecy. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who were slain in the heart of the seas. And will you still say, I am a god? In the presence of your slayer, and although you are a man, not a god, the hands of those who wound you, you will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God again. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre. Now, didn't he just do that? He did, but now it's a different, if you will. We, we've had a scene shift. We've had a material, from material to immaterial. Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection. Really? No, any Ladies, you know any men like that? <laughs> this is not a man. We've changed. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Listen to the description of this creature. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, could the king of Tyre have been in Eden? Heck no. This is not a human being. This is Satan. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you on that day that you were created. They were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers altogether not a human being. Altogether not. So, so what he's been saying basically from verse 12 on is not applying to any kind of physical creature. It's applying to a supernatural creature, a spiritual creature. And so sin begins in, in the heart of Satan, and we find this, this shift here again. It's instructive, though, that we find Satan. You notice he's two different places. So, so he's the power, the real power behind the king of Babylon. And then we find him over here in Tyre. He's the real power behind the king of Tyre. Both these guys were very powerful, tons of money, totally full of themselves, and yet what's behind them is the same entity every time. So again, it's instructive. I think we said this last time. So, so if, if the Bible is given for our instructions and it's telling us things about God, things about ourselves, and things about our world, and yet it, we see here, we find Satan behind the scenes of powerful nations and cities, the question is, what is he doing today? Same thing. The same Thing. I would suggest to you one of the most dangerous places to be in the world is places like the White House. Very dangerous there. Very dangerous. He, he's, he's limited to space and time, just like we are. He can only be in one place at a time. He can't be at your house and in the White House at the same time. And why would he waste your time, his time with you? Uh, not, no offense, but what kind of power do you have? So he's going to be with the movers and shakers. I mean, you would. You want to be in one place at one time, I want to be where I can make the most difference. And, and he can be anywhere, so that's where I would be. Or Moscow, or, you know, uh, the kings of Saudi Arabia, or somebody that's got a lot of money and a lot of power, because you're going to find him, we're going to see him again here in just a second. Consistently, he's behind the scenes, he's the puppet master, if you will, uh, behind these very powerful men and very powerful regimes. And what he was doing in the scriptures, I would, I would suggest very strongly, is exactly what he's doing today. 
And so this betrays, by the way, one of the issues we have with evil. And it goes on, it, it, it says there that he was, notice, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Is that the way you thought Satan was? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, ruby, topaz, diamond, you know, all these things. Was you, and the day that you were created, they were prepared for you. Very beautiful creature. One of, the, one, of the, one of the mistakes that we make when it comes to that which is evil is we assume that it's going to be something that is ugly. It is ugly, but not on the surface. So, so he comes as this serpent, if you will, but it's really, I mean, can you understand why we call him, why they call, the Scripture calls him the shining one? That's really what the word means, the word serpent there. You think of a serpent, what are you thinking about? The rattlesnake over here in Laguna Vista trying to bite you while you're playing golf, right? I would suggest to you that's probably not the picture you should have. Again, because of the way this, the Scriptures describe him both here and because of the word that's being chosen there uh, for, for serpent. He, he's something, at least he comes across as beautiful. It tells us in the New Testament he comes across as an angel of light. Part, part of the problem that we have with sin is that it doesn't look bad. It looks good. So, so he comes to Eve in, in whatever suit he's in there, and he tempts her in such a way, and it says that at the end of his temptation, she, it says she saw the tree, that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. It didn't look bad to her. It looked good to her. That's one of the major problems. You think, oh, we'll know what evil is because it'll just stand out. No, you won't. No, you won't. You, if you're looking with your eyes, you will not be able to see it. In fact, it will look right. Full of wisdom. So his greatest strength becomes his biggest downfall, uh, his greatest weakness. Can you think of any other people that fell that way? Watch, watch where your strong suit is. Be careful there. Because it's real easy, or I shouldn't say real easy, it's easier for us to mix whatever strong suit that is with pride. And then boom. He was very wise. He was full of wisdom. But he fell. Uh, in the New Testament we have Peter. His strongest suit was his boldness and courage. And where did he fall? Boldness and courage. You'll deny me three times. Oh, I never will, right? Uh, wrong. Pride and arrogance brought his strongest suit down to the very bottom. In Eden, here, here we go. How, how is it possible for the king of Tyre to be in a place like that? Created, this is important, uh, not, not that you didn't know, but Satan is a created being. So that means a couple of things. First of all, he's this beautiful uh, creature, elegant, one of the most elegant creatures that God has ever made. But, but as a created personage, uh, he's not an adversary to God. What do I mean by that? Because God has no equals. Nothing compares to God. You think of the devil as being an adversary to God. He, he's not. God created him. How can he be an adversary? He's an adversary to you because you're created just like he is. He's our adversary. He's more than a match for any of us, to be sure, but he's not a match for God at all. So if God wants to just squish him like a bug, he could. But understand, he doesn't. And the reason for that is that you need to, you need to wrap your mind around that. Why doesn't God do that? So as such, he's not an adversary to God. He's, there is no equality. There's no similarity between him and God. Satan is an adversary to us. Uh, easily destroyed. So this is not Satan, but this is the Antichrist. But notice how easily Jesus is going to destroy. And this, this, this Antichrist is going to have all the power of Satan. And notice how quickly Jesus takes him out. Then the lawless one, Antichrist, 
will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of the coming. Just show it up. Poof. He's toast. Because he's no adversary to God. He's being allowed to do what he does. He's our adversary. But he's not a true adversary of God. It's not, you know, when when we went to war, Second World War, we had adversaries in, you know, Europe and in uh, Japan because they were more than equal to us. Definitely adversaries. But the United States is not an adversary with, I don't know, the military of 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 the United States is not an adversary for Port Isabel. You know, well, you know, go tarpons and get blown away by you know the most powerful, uh, you know, military in the world. It's not an adversary. No comparing the two. No, neither is there anything that compares to God. It also goes interesting, calls him the anointed cherub that covers. So he's given this authority to operate in a particular uh, position. We're only given five cherubim in the entire Bible. Four, it says, are constantly around the throne of God. And one more, the only one we're given a name, is uh, this entity, this, this personage, uh, Satan. Uh, they are sort of uh, the palace guards, if you will, the masters of arms. And uh, verse 15 says he was perfect. Uh, so, so what lies behind these thrones is something that the eye cannot see, but is the most significant thing of what's happening. The most significant thing happened in the world today in the powers that be, in the authorities and the reigns and the people that are in those positions is not what you see. It is what behind, it's what's behind them. That's where the real power is. That's where the real stuff is. And we see, again, illustrated several different places here. Turn, to, turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, verses 4 uh, through 11. So, so Daniel, the first seven chapters, is basically a narrative of what happens in Daniel's life. Or 1 through 6, I'm sorry, chapters 1 through 6. Chapter 7 on is these prophecies, these visions that Daniel sees, and we're carried through these things, and Daniel sees these amazing things. And let's pick it up here, chapter 10. Uh, pick it up and down in verse 4. So Daniel has this new vision. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, that's the northern river and the southern river is Euphrates, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist, notice it doesn't say he has wings. It never does. It never does. These angels don't ever have wings in the Scriptures. The cherubim do. They have six of them, though, not just a pair. They have three pair. But it, there was this vision of this man who, from the waist, who, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz, and his body was like beryl, and his face had the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were like flaming torches, and his arms and feet were like gleaming polished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a tumult. So a very powerful creature just come, just appears there in front of Daniel. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, and while the men who were with me did not see the vision, nevertheless... Great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Again, every time we find uh, this experience that people have, either with gods or angels, it's never fun. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't enjoy it. Uh, there's nothing elated about this. They're totally terrified, uh, very consistent in the Scriptures. So down to verse 11, we'll keep reading. Now, I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. Notice he's not enjoying himself. 
of my natural color turned to deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep. So he passes out on my face, with my face to the ground. And then, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you, and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first time, first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come to you in response. 21 days. Tells us in the first part of the chapter, Daniel began to fast and pray for his people, for the things of God. He just felt this huge burden. didn't know what it was necessarily. He began to fast and pray and just seek God, seek the face of God. And, and, uh, and 21 days later, this vision, this angel, uh, shows up. So notice, but from the first day, from the first day, so I was 21 days, you know, not eating at McDonald's and drinking water and I don't know, <laughs> I don't, you know, deprive of myself and it took you 21 days to get here. That's exactly what the angel is saying. So how long does it take an angel to get to places? They, you know, was there traffic? I mean, what's going on here? He's going to tell us, but it's going to shock you. If you've not read this before, it, it, the application is certainly shocking. From the day you started praying, 21 days ago, then I, I was dispatched effectively to you. But the prince, that was verse 13, of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me 21 days. I'd have been here on the day you started, except for the fact of this spiritual warfare. So, well, we assume spiritual warfare. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, he's not physical either, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you the understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision. So he's come now to give him effectively chapters 11 and chapters 12 of the book of Daniel. Took him 21 days to get there to do it. Took him a lot of struggles and a lot of fights, and then Michael has to come up and help him. You know, this, you should take it at face value. When he spoke to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled, um, that resembled a human being was touching me on my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him, who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me. Again, he's not having a good time. We all, we all want to see a vision of God. I would suggest to you don't, unless he just decides that. Don't look for it, though. No strength remains in me just now, no strength in me, nor any breath is left in me. And this one human appearance touched me again and strengthened me, and it goes on there. So we have this, uh, this thing that takes place. Uh, how, so Daniel prays for 21 days. What, what part, this is instructive or maybe uh, disturbing, what part did Daniel's pray, prayer play in this? And, and there, it raises other questions. Among those, though, is, is very obviously, as we've seen already, kings and princes don't just refer to people. Uh, they refer to spiritual entities. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. So, so a creature like this, description like this, amazing, eyes shining, face like the sun, and body looks like this you know, precious stone, and there, some kind of physical creature is stopping him? I don't think so. It was, it was spiritual with spiritual. In fact, very effectively so. 21 days. 
So this guy with all this great appearance has to have another angel come up and help him. In fact, in particular, Michael, an archangel, who's one of the chief princes, as they're called there. So, so we understand that kings and princes don't just refer to physical creatures. Notice, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's rank. In spiritual realms, evil spiritual realms. They're not disorganized over there. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our struggle really isn't people. It really is these. These guys. And uh, they deserve it within reason. They deserve our uh, respect. This is very real, albeit invisible warfare. So behind this physical king of Persia, behind the physical king uh, in this case, that's, that's Daniel's situation, uh, behind the physical king of Tyre, behind the physical king of Babylon is these creatures, these very powerful, unseen creatures. They're really the puppet masters. Where the real power is, not in the king, but in what's behind him. Behind them is these these things, and uh, it is not. And so it, again, it begs the question. So if behind the, the kings of Persia and Babylon and, and Tyre were these spirit beings, uh, who was really calling the shot, shots? What should we expect them to be doing today? Yeah, you really should. You really should see it that way. You should really understand it that way. It, and I would say to, clearly, if it's not the Spirit of God that's behind them, it is another spirit. There's not a void, though. It's not like, oh, we got this guy with the demons and this guy with God, and the guy in the middle is in the neutral. There's no neutral zone here. Either you're with God or you're not. Very, very dangerous place to be. And so very informative. Let's, let's keep reading. How far do we go? And, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage, verse 19. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. And I said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Let's give Daniel a break by also. He's probably in his 80s now, late, maybe early 90s. He's an old guy. And he said, Do you not understand? Do you not understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the king of Prince of Persia, so that I am going forth. And behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. About to come. Greece doesn't show up on the political horizon for 200 years. So notice this entity has no relationship whatsoever with time. It's not in it. You and I, 200 years is a long time. For him, he's about to come. So again, the, they, they operate in a total different zone. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writings of the truth, verse 21. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So notice there's this warfare constantly going on. What are they fighting against? So, so let's, let's, let's answer or let's look at, consider, I don't know if we got an answer necessarily, but let's, let's consider some, some answers to some questions. So I thought, I thought the preacher just said that God can just crush Satan anytime he wants to. The answer is yes to that question, by the way. So why does he tolerate him? We've discussed that many times. Because he has, not because he has to. Well, I shouldn't say that. Because he does have to. Because he loves us. So it's not a problem squashing evil if you don't love those who are involved in evil. Now you just, you know, baby with the bath water, just squash them, you know, toss it all out, start over if you want to, or don't. If you don't love them, if your heart isn't tied to it, but if you love the ones who are also caught up in the evil, you can't destroy the evil without destroying those who are in it. So not willing that any should perish, Scripture tells us, but all should come to repentance, God withholds. And we should consider the patience of God, it tells us there in Second Peter, as salvation. God's reaching people. 
He's not squashing Satan. He's not putting out this. And so he, there is a, a lower level of warfare. God's not taking on the devil because there's no taking him on. There's no equality between them. Like there's a cockroach that I keep in my house as a pet. Did y'all know that? Not really. But I got a can of Raid. I got a can of Off. I got some gasoline. I could set him on fire. Somebody gave me a gun that I could just take him out with, but I'm just keeping this cockroach. Why? Because I want to. The bottom line is Satan still exists and these entities are still around because God wants them to be. That's it. God has a reason for it. And again, that reason is it's not arbitrary. It's because, well, it is arbitrary. He arbitrarily just loves us, not wanting us to get caught up in them. And so he has to endure them. And so the, the battle is on a lower level between equals, if you will, between fallen angels and unfallen angels. If God ever intervenes, then there is no battle anymore. And that's, that's the conclusion of Revelation. I mean, Jesus just comes with the... With the breath of his, you know, with, the, with the, the shining of his appearing, he just wipes them all out. It's just that simple. So God's not intervening. God's, God is basically effectively staying out of it, and the battle is on a lower level uh, between the angels of darkness and the angels of God. So very important that we understand that. The other, the other thing is, is so, so he allows them to fight. He allows them to go through these things. What are they fighting against? What, what is Satan after? It's after. So what is God after? Souls. Yeah, he's trying to keep the same ones that God wants in, out. He's trying to set up a system where, I mean, what's, what's his ultimate hand? He's trying to play his ultimate hand. What's his ultimate hand? The Antichrist, uh, the, the story, you know, this, this great one who's coming, who, who's going to be uh, uh, supposedly taking the place of Christ, who's going to take over the whole world. Why has it gotten to play that hand? They're fighting him, that's why. They're fighting him. Any one of these rulers could have been that guy. Nebuchadnezzar could have been that guy, but it doesn't happen. Uh, Alexander the Great could have been that guy. Cyrus the Persian could have been that guy. Uh, Roman Caesars, I mean, they, they could have easily been. They were really, really powerful men. Could have been that guy. We've had world rulers uh, uh, in recent times. Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, any one of those guys could have been that guy. What's holding them back? Well, the will of God. But these angels are. They're constantly fighting. They're involved in this, this conflict uh, constantly, again, what we find in the Scriptures is nothing has changed today. Uh, it's the same thing. They fight because things otherwise would proceed in a direction that God wouldn't want it to go. And so they're holding back this tide that Satan's wanting to uh, unleash. Uh, they're, they're putting a hedge, if you will, that's holding God back, or I should say holding Satan back. Notice, Satan comments on this, in fact, uh, with regards to what he's probably always wanted to do to Job. Have you not made a hedge around him, he says to God, complaining, around his, him and his household, around all that he has on every side? What, kind of, what are we talking about there? We're not talking about a bush, are we? What are we talking about? Angels. Probably angels. You set it up where I can't get to him. Why don't you let me? He's the sinner, right? He was. He definitely was. Why don't you let me? What, what's keeping him from getting to you? Same thing. Same thing. Now, there is no equality between God and Satan, and there's no equality between Satan and you. He is de you are definitely outclassed. So if he had an opportunity, you would know it really quick. God holds him off. Uh, notice, though, it, and again, within reason, we respect his authority. Jude 8 and 9. 
Here's a Michael the archangel again. The last time we see him, actually, in the scriptures, written out at least. Yet in the same way, these people, these false teachers, Jude is the theme is false teaching and false teachers. These people, these false teachers, these liars, dreaming, defile, they, they are just dreaming about things that they, they think they've seen, visions they've heard, defile the flesh, reject authority, speak abusively of angelic majesties. You think, well, yeah, who would speak against Gabriel and, you know, Michael? Well, that's not, not the reference you have here. Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, who's an angelic authority, right? Argued about the body of Moses. Did I tell you we're going to Israel right there in the place where Moses died? Did I mention that? We're going to go right there. In fact, day after tomorrow we'll be there. I'll give you a phone call. Hey, I don't see Moses anywhere up here. Disputed. Did you know that the devil disputed with Michael about the archangel? The only place you find it in the scriptures is right here. Disputed with the devil, argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him, that is the devil, an abusive judgment. Interesting, isn't that? Instructive. He says the Lord rebuke you. Why? Because he's got, there's nothing to respect about Satan in his person. There's a lot to respect about Satan in the authority he has, because the authority he has is from God. There is no authority except that which comes from God. He's got, a, he's got a right to do the things that he does because God allows him to do these things. For, for us to, to, to usurp that in some way is not very smart. Not even Michael would do something like that. So, and, and he's far more powerful than we are uh, and, uh, in every way and equal to Satan. So Satan's got a God-given right to do what he does because we ask for him by choosing sin. He chose a dark ward. Consequences to sin. If God just, you know, stops the consequences, then there's no reason to stop sinning. So there's consequences. Part of that is we get this ruler, this, this entity, uh, Satan. Uh, neither, and I will say this very carefully, so, so we have spiritual entities that have authority given to them by God, and we respect that authority because it's derived from God, not the person, but we respect the authority. The same is true with the physical people. So how many of you love, maybe I shouldn't ask this, our president... I don't like him. Y'all want to know the truth? I don't like him. I don't like the vice president either. I don't see where I have to like him. But I do respect him. I do respect him, and not any more that I could come out against him, nor should we. As we would come out against, I mean, do you like Satan? No. I don't find any reason to like him. But you better respect what he has, the position that he holds. Same is true with the spiritual world. Same is true with the physical world. Uh, our, our president, his vice president, their cabinet, they're in there because God put them there. And I hope you swallowed hard on that. God's in control. So the ones we have as rulers, the ones who are in authority on the entire planet are there because God decided for them to be there. And that might be a real hard pill to swallow, but you need to swallow it. Because there is no authority except from God. And sometimes we have rulers that are blessings because God's trying to bless us. And sometimes we have rulers that are curses, and you need to take both of them. So to stand up against it and says, that's not from God, it's from Satan. Well, you're saying somehow that Satan does stuff that God doesn't allow him to do? That isn't true, ever. Ever. He doesn't touch Job until God allows him. Uh, this is uh, very important that, that we get this. So, so uh, you know, we need to be careful what we say about the rulers of this world, the rulers of our nation. So two big errors, and we're going to be done. Two big errors to fall into concerning Satan. Number one, to ignore him. 
But it's just, you know, this is just, I don't know, some kind of fairy tale. Uh, he would love for you to think that he's some kind of personification of evil and nothing more. Love for you to think that he's not a sentient being. Love for you to think that. Scriptures won't let you do that. Scriptures won't. Very clearly, he is real. And what, 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 what does real mean, right? Well, he's, he's a sentient being, let's just say that for sure. So on the one hand, we can ignore him. On the other, side, other hand, overemphasize it. So we fear him. We see him behind every single bush. Let's, let's go. So, so how do we stand up against this creature that's far more powerful than us? Let's go all the way to 1 John chapter 4. There's a number of places we could go to look at this, but this is probably none that says it better than John does. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4. So it's going it, to... John is talking about both about the physical world and the spiritual world. Do not believe every spirit... So a spirit comes up to you, you shouldn't believe him. <laughs> I would say, yeah, definitely don't. But what is a spirit anyway? Am I not a spirit? Yes, I am. Live in a physical body. So he's not just talking about the ethereal realm. He's talking about the physical realm. And as far as he's concerned, it doesn't matter. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because every, many false prophets, that's physical creatures, right? have gone out into the world. So are they spirits too? Yeah, they are. And behind them, false prophets, very powerful spirits behind them. Don't underestimate them. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, not little a, not the official guy, but the, but the, but the movement that he's a part of, certainly it is of which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God. How do we overcome it? Little children have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He would love for you to take him on yourself. Now we have you know, a lot of false teaching that goes on. A lot of it's on television. I say that all the time. But these guys, you listen to these guys. And by the way, one of the things that Michael would never do, you'll hear them do all the time on television. Oh, they yell at Satan and they tell him all kinds of stuff and they call him all kinds of names just like, whoo, here we go. They're the false teachers just exactly like Jude said they would do. Just exactly. And, and uh, they, they part, part of, the, part of the, the teachings that they bring is that somehow we have authority in ourselves. Now that you're in Christ, you're a, you're a free operator. No, you're not. You're just a sinner saved by grace. It's Jesus in you, though, that is great authority. You humble yourself. Again, humble yourself before God, and then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But they love, they would love for you to approach them with arrogance and pride, and that somehow you have some kind of separate power that you get to use anytime you want to, and you're going to get mowed down if you do that. They would love for you to dress them that way. Uh, let's, let's flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the, another Another place where we, how, how do we stand against the devil? Of course, we can't go anywhere without looking with that topic. Uh, can't go anywhere without looking at Ephesians 6. Strong in the Lord, right? Not ourselves. Strong in his wisdom, his knowledge, not ourselves, not anything that we have. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, look down at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God 
that you may be able to stand firm in the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, we've read this one already tonight, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, right? Well, don't. I mean, it's just, it's just the world we live in. It's the way things are. Take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, and having your loins girded with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? You've got tongue speakers that are going to say, you've got to speak in tongues. That's not at all what it's saying. Praying in the Spirit. Now, of course, if you're speaking truly in tongues in that gift, I mean, that is praying in the Spirit per se. But I, if you, what if you don't have the gift of tongues? You can't do that. Well, no, that's not true. It's praying, understanding that all of our power and authority comes from the Lord. We're totally trusting in Him. It's not just throwing words at the ceiling. We're asking, totally trusting God and allowing the Spirit uh, to inspire that in us. With this in view, be on alert and be with all per- perseverance and petition, it says there, for all the strength. Strong in the Lord, not ourselves. In the power of His might. Again, He would love for you to take Him on because He is more than a match for you. By yourself, with your authority somehow, not trusting the Lord, not submitting yourself to the Lord, not resting in these, these things girded with the truth, which is the Word of God. With righteousness, it's Jesus of righteousness. I don't trust anything that I know. I don't trust anything that I've done. I totally trust the Lord. The Lord is the one who protects me because I belong to the Lord. The evil one cannot touch me. It tells me in 1 John 5. Feet prepared with the gospel. That can't be stopped. So the Lord sets before me an open door that I'm going to walk through and nobody can shut that door. Not the devil, not anybody else. I'm not confident in me though. Confident in the Lord. I trust him. He's called me. Through that, the shield of faith, there it is. And let it be stretched. Let it be tried and tested because it will strengthen whatever comes. It will strengthen that faith and make you even better. So, so we come up against these and we read these stories. Of course, can you imagine the overwhelmingness that Daniel had? And yet, effectively, the, the, the angel says, if it, effectively, if it were not for your prayers, Daniel, I wouldn't be here. So how, how, how much? I mean, it's, it's really a, a very... Uh, thought-provoking thing. How incredibly important are our prayers? How powerful. That's the way, that's the way uh, uh, Paul sums up the, the armor of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray. Why? Because that's the major artillery calling in the shots, you know, from heaven. Gird yourself with these things. Stand in faith. It's just standing. You're not conquering anything. Calling in the major artillery from heaven as we pray, seeking uh, the face of God for whatever circumstances. Intervening on behalf of those who haven't placed their faith, like I talked about this morning, those little coins that are in the cracks of the world, those that have fallen in the dirt and the dust and the dark corners of the world. God's seeking them. It's not because he doesn't know where they are. Because they they don't want to be found. Something has to change in them. Satan loves to run the blind uh, uh, scenario over them. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't understand, they're confused, they're distracted. Pray that those things would be removed. Pray. God has turned it, again, God's not fighting the battle yet. 
God is fighting the battle through us, through his angels. So we have a credibly important responsibility. Uh, spiritual entities that take care of spiritual things, physical entities that take care of the spiritual things being directly related, sons and daughters of God, right? Uh, credible responsibility. So we're going to stop right there. As far as we're going to go in Isaiah, it's going to take us off into chapter 15 and other places, but it would take us a whole lot longer. Questions? All right. I, I, I always was understood I, that no evil can come up toward the person. Yeah. Or in the air. Yeah. But then how did faith get to It happened in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And back to, back to the, one of the consequences that God has to endure uh, with loving those who are involved in this in this in sin is that Satan is allowed there. He's not cast out yet. He's still there. You have him in Job going up there a couple of different times. He's in the pres he comes with all the angels, presents himself to God. What's he doing there? He's, he's doing his job there. He's doing his job. We we it's a job that we gave him because we chose sin. So he's our adversary there. He's at at the high he's at the court and God's the judge and he's the prosecution saying Kill them, God. Get rid of them, God. Throw them out. Look at, look at her sin. Look at his decisions. Why do you keep loving them? God's got to put up with that every day. So he's allowed to do that. Not forever. It will end. But between now and then, we need to understand the dynamic that's going on. So, Something else? Yes, ma'am. So if the Holy Spirit is in me, doesn't that make me more powerful than Satan? Yes and no. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You, no, you're not any more powerful than you ever were. You have to be real careful to, to separate between the two of those things. I trust the Holy Spirit in me. I don't trust me at all. I don't know if you trust yourself. I don't trust, you know, I don't trust myself at all. <laughs> I know what I'm capable of. So I, I trust the Spirit that's in me. To defend me. And I can stand on the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. There you go. And so I have I have that. I the shield of faith is what I raise, trusting, trusting the word of God. But be careful because there is a fine line that breaks over from confidence in God to confidence in self. We don't you don't want to go on the wrong side of that line. Be real careful. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self discipline. That's right. Spirit is it's, the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God, yes. The spirit to control yourself, the Spirit to trust, the Spirit to stand, uh, like Daniel does in the face of, of all these things. The Spirit of Apostle Paul, who just went out and, you know, solo went and waged war on all these uh, cities just with nothing but the gospel. He didn't have anything else. He gave up all of his rights and authority, all of his power and position, uh, subjected himself to persecution and near death on several occasions totally trusted God for that and he was right in doing so he did well so the you know the wars we wage are not on a spiritual level I mean I'm sure sorry not on a physical level they're for pulling down stronghold it says Paul says you know if you think we fight on a physical level I've got new news for you you'll find out that the real power is not what we are physically they Paul was not impressive, it says. They were not impressed with Paul. He was a short little, probably a little short, bald Jewish guy 
you know, and he probably had eye problems, which so he wasn't too impressive, and his speech wasn't very strong, and so they were just like, ah, Paul, ah, he's not that big of a deal. But uh, he says, listen, you don't know what's behind us here. Uh, we, have, we have great authority, the, the authority that's behind us we can bring uh, to bear if need be, uh, but it's told by, totally by God. Something else? Yes, sir. What is the nature of the battle that occurs between spiritual forces, for example, Michael and... Right. Hard to say. I understand, I understand battle on a physical... He's asking what's the nature of the battle between spiritual forces. And so when I talk about battle, I talk about, you know, somebody gave me a gun today at church. I talk about, I got a knife in my pocket. You know, physical things affect physical creatures. And uh, spiritual things, obviously, physical things have no bearing on them whatsoever. So, so what? It, what is that? You have uh, the 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 um, angel of the Lord in the book of Joshua standing on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, did I tell you we're going to Israel? We'll be standing right there in three days. I'll be looking for that angel. You know his footprints. It says he was standing. You know he comes across this. He didn't know what he looked like a man uh, with a drawn sword. Of course, it's not physical, and so the sword can't be physical. So I, I haven't totally wrapped my head around that. I don't really know what is the nature of it. You know, how can you explain it? I don't know. I know it's real, uh, but we only understand things really on a physical plane. So it's hard to explain. It's hard to, uh, not not explain. It's hard to know. I don't know what it is. I really don't. It's a good question. Something else. Good to go. Pray for us. So we head out at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, lots of people winging their way. Some people already there in Dallas and or Chicago and are making their way all to, uh, not Dallas, uh, uh, Dallas, uh, Washington, D.C. And we're all meeting up there tomorrow afternoon and then flying across the pond. So, so pray for us, pray for safety, pray for especially uh, health. I don't care if I die over there, I just don't want to be sick, <laughs> you know. Like I said earlier, crash the plane, but I don't want to have, you know, the sniffles and feel bad. Uh, I don't mind going to heaven, I just don't want to be sick while I'm, you know, alive. I'd rather not be, so. All right, let's pray. We'll hit the road. God, we thank you for uh, teaching us. Thank you, God, for revealing uh, your will, uh, your way. Uh, your your thoughts, God, to us. Thank you for opening our eyes to the world that's around us, the world that we live in today. Not a safe place at all. Not a safe place because uh, of the things that you've taught us and the things we understand, but we have no reason to fear. The only fear we should have is the fear of you, and it eliminates fear of everything else. God, I thank you that you stand with us. You didn't come to hang yourself on a cross and at the same time, not protect us, Lord. You know that we're sheep in the midst of wolves. And so we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our sheep reasoning and our sheep power, uh, our, our sheep, sheep capabilities. We instead uh, trust you, and we trust the, the work that you do, uh, the presence of your spirit, the, the power of your angels that set a hedge around us, Lord, and we're asking that you would continue to hold that hedge. Thank you, God, uh, for this time. Uh, thank you for these people and their faithfulness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.